there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to season two of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. I was so excited to have the opportunity to sit down and have a discussion with Temple Grandin, who is my guest today. I would assume most of you listening know who Temple Grandin is, but for those who don't, Temple Grandin is a renowned American author, animal behavior expert, and an advocate for autistic people. With the support from her mother and guiding mentors at school, she completed her education successfully and made a flourishing career as an animal expert and a parenting guru for autistic children. Her inventions of the hug machine to pacify autistic population and curved corrals to reduce panic and injury in animals during slaughter have brought her considerable popularity across the world. She has written numerous books about autism and animal welfare, has done several talks and a lot of education around the country. She was also portrayed in a movie called Temple Grandin, um, starring uh, Claire Danes as Temple, that won a lot of Academy Awards. So, you know, Temple is 73 years old. She was born in Boston in 1947. When she was diagnosed with autism way back then, um, at the age of two, it was marked as brain damaged, um, and her parents were highly encouraged to put her in a long-term care facility. Her mom consulted a neurologist who recommended speech therapy, and following which she was enrolled in a structured nursery school while a caregiver was hired at home to keep her engaged with games and um, learning speaking. So she started speaking at the age of four and was fortunate to be guided by supportive and sympathetic staff at school, Um, although social interaction and bullying from peers was a problem, which is also portrayed in the movie. One of the famous quotes, Temple has several, but one of the things I love so much that she says over the years is kind of referencing normal, quote unquote, normal people. She says, I always find it kind of funny that normal people are always saying autistic children live in their own little world. When you work with animals for a while, you start to realize you can say the same thing about normal people. There's a great, big, beautiful world out there that a lot of normal folks are just barely taking in. Autistic people and animals are seeing a whole register of the visual world normal people can't or don't. I think that's such a great perspective, and we get into some of those um, conversations regarding being nonverbal and all of the things that uh, she's kind of gone through in her life uh, with talking to other parents who have nonverbal children and the advice that she could share with me about my own nonverbal child and um, other parents. So enjoy my conversation with Temple. I hope you get out of it as much as I did recording it with her. So welcome back to Living the Sky Life. I am so excited to have a special guest today on the show. Temple Grandin is joining me for a discussion. So welcome to the podcast, Temple. It's great to be here. 
thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I'd love to dive right into some of the um, burning questions that I have that maybe some listeners have as well. Um, I'm very interested in a lot of the research that you've done on the brain and just the functions of an autistic um, person versus a neurotypical person. And I know you've met a lot of families um, throughout all of your talks and yes. books and experience who have nonverbal children on the spectrum or adults on the spectrum. In your research, have you kind of come up with an understanding of maybe the brain body connection and why some of our children are prevented from speaking? Well, there's three basic ways that the brain can be messed up on speech. The first is we've got to make sure obviously the child's not deaf. Okay, once you've ruled that out, I have a little bit of auditory processing problem. In other words, when the grownups talk fast, it went into gibberish. Like, blah, 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 blah. and when the grownups talked slowly, I could understand. But there's okay. some individuals that remain nonverbal, they'll make sounds that sound like just the vowel sounds, because that may be all that they're hearing. And, and if you don't, you see there's a difference between hearing auditory detail and just threshold, like, mm -hmm. like hearing just a little tiny faint sound. They're two different things. So if they don't hear the words clearly, obviously they can't learn them. Then the second kind of way the brain can have problems is can't get the speech out. And I had some experimental brain scans done where um, I, some of the nerve fibers for getting speech out, I had less bandwidth. I had fewer fibers. So by okay. having speech therapy, they could increase the bandwidth on the fibers that were left. And then the third type of speech problem is echolalia. They can recite a movie script perfectly, but they have no idea what it means. So the meaning part's not hooked up. So that's mm -hmm. kind of three ways the brain can have problems with language. And for the echolalia kid, you can take that movie script, <clears throat> try to work some of it into real conversation. Have meaning. Mm -hmm. So that's you the three ways that the brain can not learn speech. <coughs> Just put it really, really simply. Now, the thing I can't emphasize enough, an individual's got to have a way to communicate. Yes. I can remember the frustration of not being able to communicate and a lot of tantrums. So there's got to be some way to communicate, maybe some sign language, maybe a picture board, maybe some fancier device, but they've got to have something. Well, when you, you mentioned to me that you didn't really start speaking um, until about the age of four, and you, you just mentioned, you know, tantrums and frustration, you know, I, I am just guessing uh, my son is 18, as I mentioned to you, and he's never uttered a single word. We've tried, he's been in ABA since he was seven, exclusively. We've tried PECs, we've tried sign language, we've tried every could he, method Could he possible. learn any, any sign at all? A little bit. He had his own, like he signed more and he would sign yes, but he had his own version of that. Like more was clapping instead of touching his fingertips together. Um, and now does he, he just, have, now can he, does he have move? Is it difficult for him to control movements? Can he yes. do other tasks like dressing and stuff like that easily? No, he, his okay. motor ability is, is really, he's struggling with that. And so we've noticed that during the spelling that he has just been doing for the last eight or eight or nine months, he has trouble pointing at the letters and getting accuracy because he's, it's like they've explained to us, he's so tired with pointing his finger, raising his arm, his eyes focusing on the letters, 
all of that is going on. And so he, he struggles and he's exhausted after a couple of words. Well, it takes tremendous, um, you know, uh, concentration to uh, screen out the background noise. I don't know if you've read the book by Tito Muckapadehe, How Can I Talk If My Lips Don't Move? No. Well, it's I'll a to it's, read that. It, I think if you're working with individuals that don't learn to talk, there's some really, really good books that, that you probably need to get. And one of them is Tito Muckapadehe, uh, How Can I Talk If My Lips Don't Move? You can pick it up on Amazon. And this is an individual who has difficulty controlling movement. There's a lot of flapping. And he has to do tremendous effort to type independently. He does type completely independently. I've met him, but he can just do one little short sentence and then he's got to rest. And he describes sensory scrambling. Uh, the other, other book is The Reason I Jump by the yes, Japanese I've read boy. That. Mm -hmm. Now the, there's a sequel to that book that I think is a lot better because he's older. Okay. There's a sequel, it has a title, something like Fall Down Five Times, Get Up Seven Times. I, and that's independent. And then this is a new book supposed to be coming out this summer. I have been buried under years of dust. Yes, and I, um, I'm actually gonna have the author on the podcast as well. And um, I was so interested in that story because it's just like ours with her daughter speaking after so many years. Um, so yes, I, um, I'm anxious to read that book. I've downloaded it and I'm ready to read that. Well, and the thing is, these are individuals where they're typing completely independently because otherwise you can't be sure who the author is. Um, yeah. uh, unless they're, and Tito, is, he, he, he would type very, very fast and then get up and run around and flap. And then he, and, and I asked him um, a question that there's no way his mom could have known the answer. I deliberately did this. We were in a library when I met him and I found an old pile of Scientific Americans so I went down at the bottom of the stack. I just yanked out one of the magazines and I found this weird ad for a tech company and it showed a picture of an astronaut in a spacesuit riding a horse in the desert. <laughs> and I just showed it to Tito and I said, tell me about this picture. And he typed Apollo 11 on a horse really fast. And then he got up and ran around. There's no way yeah. that was cute. Yeah. That's why I chose that. That's what I think is so interesting. When Skylar's, my son, started spelling, you know, the, the therapist was like, we're giving him age-appropriate material. We're not going to dumb it well, down, you know, right. baby it. And, and so she gives him, you know, we do lessons on current events and all yeah. of that. And I've told this story in the podcast before, but he, during the election time, he was spelling the candidates' names. I asked him, name okay. one of the candidates, and I gave him the board. And I was blown away at what he had has picked up all of these years and what he knows. Well, that's So it's right. frustrating because I, I, I know he knows it, but his body prevents him from, from doing much of the spelling because he cannot sit still. It's like he's got ants in his pants and he just cannot focus. Well, this is the problem that Noki in the sequel, he's, grow, he's grown up and, it, and then in the sequel, he said, I'm like a broken robot. I can't control my mo movements. Mm-hmm. You see, and that's, uh, Tito describes a lot of sensory scrambling. And uh, the way he does it is he types like, he typed boom, 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 like that. And then he jumped up and ran around. And then Carly, another Carly Fleischman, she types very slowly, but independent. And, 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 have, and describes a difficulty with trying to control the movements. I think with some of the nonverbals, you have like a normal brain with a locked in syndrome. Because Carly was talking about, she was looking at the cute cameraman 
Well, she was a teenager at the time. And you know, she said, I want to look at the cute cameraman. Now you're more kind of autistic person like me. No, so it's like the body was totally dysfunctional. And then mm -hmm. vision's often messed up where uh, images are breaking up like the similar to the uh, migraine uh, kind of way image you have image breakup migraine headaches you can look that up online and they describe the, those kind of things and the reason why they smell and touch everything those senses are neurologically simpler so they actually still work they're not giving jumbled up information and hearing just, is usually less messed up than eyes are um, but the, you go check the eyes at the eye doctor, they're going to be fine. <laughs> the problem's back here where yeah. the images are assembled. It's just hard for parents because I, I mean, I feel like I, I can only imagine how frustrating it must be to not be able to communicate after 18 years. And, oh, yeah. you know, you're just struggling to get people to understand if you're in pain or if you have a need or you want something, or you don't want to eat that choice that we're making and all of that. And I, I know he's angry and that's a lot of the aggression, but I don't know how to help him. I don't know what to do. You know, this is the thing in the, the uh, if you can find a way to communicate mm -hmm. is one of the, one of the most important things. And he'll be able to communicate better in a quiet environment. You want to check mm -hmm. lighting because some of these LEDs and some of these new electronic light bulbs flicker. I don't have the problem, so I can't say, well, I went to the lamp store and tested them all because I would have done that. <laughs> but I had a student that had this problem. And with huh. the old fluorescent lights, I mean, it just, uh, she just couldn't function. I remember one time we went on a flight and she was like all spacey. And then I rented a car and we get an half an hour outside the airport in the rental car and it's like she came too. And, and some of these LEDs flicker, but not all LEDs flicker. Right. Probably mostly the cheap ones. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I remember too in reading um, in The Reason I Jump, he was talking about eye contact and why that is so difficult. Do you find that it's difficult for you to make eye contact? Because the way he explained it was so, so interesting because he said that you know, when I say to like my son, I'll say, look at me. And he does. But the minute I start talking, he'll look away. And I never get upset about that because of that book. And it explained that the eye, the eyebrows and just your facial expressions, there's so much going on to take in that it's distracting to what the words are that you're saying. Is, is that accurate? Yes. Yes, it is. You see, okay. the problem is it's forcing two senses to work at the same time. I found, remember, I forget a time at one of the airports, so I was trying to talk to the gate agent and I was looking down, there's a lot of noise. And if I established good eye contact, yeah, it puts load on the small processor. Yeah. And yeah, that is a problem. And uh, I find that, that when I'm in a noisy environment, I have to just concentrate on the hearing. I, I've never been able to hear conversations really well in a noisy restaurant. So it doesn't help you to read lips at all. Like, not for so, you me. know, if, no, if they're not, talking too fast. I'm yeah. not going to say that isn't true for somebody else. But sure. for me, that doesn't help. I have to just concentrate on listening. Yeah. Well, you often describe um, in your books and in your talks that you think in pictures and, and a lot of... Um, 
a lot of neurotypical brains ignore the details and that you, that's just one of the areas that you've thrived, obviously in um, the slaughter and the agricultural business and all of that, that you just see some of the details. Well, and you've right. mentioned- I was, I was talking yeah. to our, our equine professor and he was talking about doing some exercise physiology work, the horse on this big treadmill. And we were discussing, you know, the, they couldn't figure out why the, sometimes the horses were spooking on the treadmill. And I went over there and even though they had a curtain over the window to outside, I could see Canada goose shadows. I said, you see huh. that? That's Canada geese. And then I went outside to make sure it was, and it was. They hadn't seen that. Maybe we can just have to put cardboard up. Yeah, it was spooking the, the cattle? Was, well, spooking the horse on this exercise treadmill. Oh, and the horse. It was yeah. the horse that was spooking. You see, people say, well, it just spooked. I don't think it just spooked. I went down there and I found a reason for it. Mm -hmm. I saw Canada geese shadows. So how do people know if their children or young adults are visual thinkers or pattern thinkers? Well, it's what they can do. The visual okay. thinkers often um, uh, like to draw. Now there's some individuals that are nonverbal with the seeings are scrambled up that they're not gonna be a visual thinker. But there are some nonverbals uh, that have taken off with math. Um, and you want the old fashioned math books, not this new stuff, old fashioned yeah, like books, old, numbers, old fashioned geometry books, get them out of the attic. But yeah. you say you don't know until you expose them to it. You have to expose them to a lot of stuff. And one of the things in the in the Tito book on how can I talk to my lipstone move, his mom took him everywhere, train stations, markets, um, and he described things like uh, learning how to put on a t-shirt. If uh, the mom yanked it on fast, it went too fast for him to understand how the t-shirt worked. But if he took the t-shirt and very slowly, maybe spent 20 whole seconds just pulling it over the head like this very slowly. Mm -hmm. and then very slowly working the arm into one armhole in slow motion, just continuous motion. Then working the other arm into the other armhole t-shirt worked but if it was just yanked on fast he couldn't process it that is so interesting i can't wait to read that book now i've never heard of it is on a must read list it's called how can i talk if my lips don't move now yeah. it was out of print for a while it should be available in used books and it is definitely available as an audio book yeah but it's definitely um i think it's one of the reading list of the must reads if uh, you're working with nonverbal older once they get past about age five and they're not talking you need to be reading this book well have you always had sensory issues um most of your life or have you kind of grown out of some do you think well, or? Like sens sensory issues uh, aren't as bad as they used to be and one of the ways you can sometimes desensitize some of the touch sensitivity and sound sensitivity is a method called environmental enrichment is an effective treatment for autism. It's really very simple. What you do is you stimulate two senses at the same time, always changing them. Do it 15 minutes twice a day. Like you might smell an aromatherapy and touch a cold water glass or listen to some classical music and balance on a board you nailed to the floor. And you're, it's always going across two different senses with touch and smell being kind of the basis but always changing it. And it's an evidence-based method. And the paper is called in, uh, Environmental Enrichment 
is an effective treatment for autism. And you can find it on Google by typing in three keywords, autism, environmental enrichment. Use those three keywords. I always like to look it, for things that, that people can do that don't cost a fortune. And, yeah. So does that just, it just stimulates the senses and kind of um, not confuses them, but in a good way, just kind of, well, you know, right. wake, wakes them up? I don't really know how it works. Yeah, um, that's Another neat. thing that can sometimes help is if the, let's say a loud horn or something like that, they don't like, or a hairdryer, have the individual turn it on and off where they control it. Right. They control it. They might be able to get the tolerate it better. Huh. You know, I couldn't stand to be hugged. So I was using my squeeze machine, but I could control the squeeze machine. Yes. See, that's the difference. Yeah. That's interesting. When I saw the movie um, of your life, uh, the squeeze machine was intriguing to me because Skylar does not like to be hugged at all either. And he only kind of snuggles with and cu like cuddles his weighted blanket. He doesn't like it on him. He just doesn't really like a lot of pressure, but he likes to be wrestled with kind of aggressively. So well, I I'm trying to get, understand the difference. Well, that's that kind of, you know, um, this, you know, vestibular and deep pressure stimulation. Uh, that um, you know, some people really like. Yeah. With your um, kind of just going back to the movie a little bit, there was a scene in there. Some of the scenes about I think it was high school, where you know you were just really frustrated. Um, I think you even mentioned it in in some of your writing about just people picking on you or bullying and um, that kind of thing. And it's still an issue that we're dealing with in school systems now, but would you, is the, does the frustration and anger come from those situations where, because kids just don't understand you or were you unable to really explain to them how you were feeling? Like, well, you know I've what got, I mean? I, like the social cues and all of that? I managed to get to elementary school without being bullied up through sixth grade because my teacher explained to the other children that I had a disability that was not visible like a wheelchair and they needed to be helping me. That's called peer mediated intervention. High school what was a great a teacher. Yeah. High school was a complete nightmare. Were some of those kids, the same kids that you went to elementary school with that you went to no. high school with? No. So that's not the problem. The kids I went to elementary school with, there were other kids. Yeah. And the only place I had friends was friends who shared interests. And the right. kids that like to ride horses or do electronics were not doing the bullying. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where I got friends. So clearly you would be a proponent of early education. Um, I have a lot, of, um, a lot of mom friends who've written children's books about autism and, and they're wanting so badly to get those as mandatory criteria in schools when kids are younger so that they can be explained all the different aspects of autism and how unique each person is on the spectrum. And then that would hopefully translate into the high school years that it wouldn't be a big deal that it would just, you know, you would just be the same student they've always gone to school with and they would welcome you in like they should have at elementary school. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had a great teacher in elementary school. Gosh, back then to have, the, the, the knowledge to, to educate well, the kids. some of this is the old 50s upbringing method. Mm -hmm. And I call it teachable moments. Yes. And okay, we had to have sit down meals. And if I reached across for the serving dish, they didn't scream no, they'd say, 
ask, you know, Jane to pass it. They'd give the instruction. Or if you ate with your mouth shut, they said it was disgusting when you eat with your mouth shut, uh, eat with your mouth closed. They'd give you the instruction. And that was normal 50s upbringing. And wherever children yeah. went in the 50s, grown-ups corrected them. Uh, the clerks in shops were really big on correcting kids in the 50s. <laughs> yes. And they, but they <laughs> yeah. didn't yell at them. They usually would say, you can only touch the things you're going to buy. Or, you, or yep. you, you have to walk in the store, not run. Yeah. Um, as far as the community at large, um, I know that another huge problem that we face is when our um, kids on the spectrum become adults. Um, for my son, it's going to be a little bit different because of his lack of communication. But there are so many adults that could make valuable contributions to the workforce and just be, you know, good citizens out there in the community and, and well, the big um, mistake that's so made is not teaching life skills starting soon enough that's mm -hmm. a big problem i was shopping when i was eight years old and i'm seeing fully verbal individuals 12 years old 16 years old never have shopped by themselves i had a yeah. little bit of money for allowance and 50 cents a week it could buy a lot in the 50s i could get uh, five comics with that but if i wanted a 69 cent airplane i had to save for two weeks Mm -hmm. just these basic things there so you not, learned the value of money early i learned that early and things mm -hmm. like doing chores and um, when i was 13 mother got me a little sewing job i did two afternoons a week that out just with a seamstress that worked out of her home mm -hmm. and we're not doing enough of that kind of stuff basic well, basic were, life skills you were your own huge advocate when it came to workforce and, um, you know, really making a name for yourself in your industry that you're in. Is there anything that parents can do to help besides, you know, in addition to life skills to help their kids in the workforce? I mean, we can't interview for them, but what can we teach them and how can we, you know, educate the community that our young adults are just as capable, maybe with a few accommodations, but just as capable of you know, contributing a lot to well, the you workforce. Do it and one successful thing at a time, and mm -hmm. we'd be getting real jobs before they graduate from high school. That's very, very clear. I was just reading some more research. And use your connections in the community. Who do you know that owns a gift shop or owns a mm -hmm. bookstore, owns a, you know, an ice cream shop or something like that that the kid could work in? Yeah. And you just set it up in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing too many moms that are overprotective. Like I saw a 16 year old doing well in school and I suggested he buy some printer paper and the mom said she couldn't let go. Or a 12 year old fully verbal met her in the airport uh, with she and her mom and they, she'd never shopped. So I whipped out a $5 bill and I gave it to her. I said, go on that newsstand and buy something. <laughs> and she went in there, bought a drink and brought me back to change. Aww. Well, that was cool. Stuff like that. Yeah. And and this is rel relatively recent. This is stuff in the last five years. This is not mm -hmm. ancient history. So do you think sometimes autism parents can be helicopter parents? Yes. And, <laughs> and worse than helicopter parents and not learning things. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking of things you could do just casually. Let's say you're getting gas. You could have them run in the store and buy a jug of milk. Mm -hmm. Just doing yeah. more stuff like that. Yeah, maybe we are underestimating their capabilities. I mean, I know I did as far as Skylar speaking. I did not know he knew all of that. And so one of yeah. my problems I still have is I interrupt, and that's that is due to processing speed. I can't figure out when to break in. 
oh no, you're fine. We're 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 doing good. I'm sorry that my <laughs> that you can't see me on video because it was causing some issues. But um, yeah, I mean, I just I think that's one thing I've learned in all of these years. I mean, obviously he's never going to grow outgrow his autism, and all I've tried to do as a mom is try to give him every opportunity, mainly to communicate and to give him whatever means I could find. But I I don't want to underestimate. And it's so hard when the behaviors are relative of like a six-year-old, seven-year-old, you know, being aggressive, throwing fits because well, he's frustrated. I assumed that, his brain was that way, you well, know, well, at that level. Yeah, the one thing at the workplace is going to have problems with is the aggression. And with yes. me, I had to switch from anger to crime. Employers will talk. Oh, really? Yeah. So and tell me switched. a little bit about that. Well, I got horseback riding taken away for two weeks after getting really aggressive kid teased me and I punched him in the cafeteria and uh, then after that somehow I switched from anger to crying and uh, NASA space scientists cry when their stuff gets canceled that's why really? they have those yeah really you ought to look up the 60 minutes episode when the shuttle was canceled they were crying on camera and walking off huh that's interesting because the Did one you thing employers cannot deal with is a grown-up person doing severe a big aggression well, so in your career, you know, you were often turned away because it was a male focused, you know, industry and all of that. How did you process all of that to get them to listen to you? Because you, your ideas are revolutionary. Well, one and of the things I did is I see in the movie where I get the editor's card and I started writing for that magazine. Yes. I recognized that as a door that if I wrote for that magazine, that's one of the things that helped get them to respect me because I wrote good articles for the magazine. Mm -hmm. And this is where I was taught how to write decently. We got a lot of students today in college and their writing skills are absolutely horrible. And I'm not teaching writing anymore. I don't know what they teach them in school, but I've got graduate students right now and they have not been taught writing. And I've had to work on that, teaching them writing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about you today. I know that you work at, um, in the Department of uh, Animal Sciences that's at right. Colorado State, which is incredible. My daughter wants to be a vet, so okay. I'm hoping that's one of the schools she picks. Um, but so what are what are your lectures or what are you teaching? Well, I teach a course in livestock handling and cattle behavior during handling. It's a short course. Okay. And I, I have a lecture in it. And then they have to do scale drawing. Finding now we've got students in college now that have never used a ruler in their life. That did not <laughs> used to be a problem. The other thing I'm finding on the verbal, when the granddad was 11, he had a paper route. Mm -hmm. So he learned how to work. We've got yeah. to find substitutes like that for that. Church volunteer jobs, farmer's markets, things where they can do work on a schedule outside the family. Somebody else is the boss. Yeah. We got to start finding things in the neighborhood. That's one of the hard parts, though, I think, is I don't know that people are open enough yet to hiring our kids to do things. I think they still worry about employing someone on the spectrum. And what I've found from so many parents that I've met with adults that want to work and want to have jobs, they have the best time management skills. They, you know, you tell them what to do and they will do exactly that task very, very well with a lot of detail. They seem to be the best employees you could get. So I don't know what the hesitation is. 
Now let's look at, you see, you have the kind of Asperger type where there's no speech delay and mm -hmm. some of those need to just get jobs and not disclose. Obviously, if you're nonverbal, obviously you have to disclose. Right. I think the thing to do would be to say, I'll give you a free trial. <laughs> yeah. We'll show you what he can do. Yeah. Do you recommend people with um, higher functioning autism or Asperger's um, that they should reveal it? Like, I know you've said in some of your talks that Google and NASA and places like that should be filled with people on the spectrum because they're well, they are so filled highly intelligent. Totally filled with it. Yeah. And a lot of them avoid the labels. Um, now, I think, you know, attitudes on that are changing, but there's still some really bad discrimination. Uh, before the HBO movie came out, I never disclosed to any clients. You know, I just went in there and did the job, but I was doing a lot of freelance work, which avoided a lot of the politics because I'd go in there, get the piece of equipment installed or designed, and then I'd leave. Uh -huh. And and I'd keep my nose stuck in the, just my stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, lear I learned to do that. Yeah. Um. I was gonna ask you too, Temple, um, a lot of people on the spectrum, and it's true of my son too, have coexisting conditions. It's a lot of um, digestion and GI problems or seizures or things. Have you, do you have anything else that has plagued you, you know, throughout your life, any other medical conditions? Um, well, I've got all some skin problems. I've got, you know, I've had colitis problems. Yeah, I've been on antidepressant medication for 40 years, and I described that in my book, Thinking in Pictures. Uh -huh. And um, actually, some of the colitis cleared up, but I did not have things that I would have to tell an employer about. Right. I um, didn't have, a, well, seizures can be a problem. Like, you, they can't have you operating. You can't drive a forklift, for example, if you're sure. having seizures. Yeah. There's certain jobs that they just, from a safety standpoint, you just can't do. I'm. Um, if there's seizures, but there's other jobs you can do. Can, can I ask you, can we dive a little bit more into you, to the ulcerative colitis? Um, my son is diagnosed with that as well. We just found that out a couple of years ago. And I, um, when, when in your life did you learn of that? Were you younger or was that in your adult life that you found? It was as a, it was in college actually when it started. And then it was really bad all through my twenties. And then when I took antidepressants, that calmed down my anxiety and the colitis was like 90% cleared up. Okay. I have a little bit now. Because we just- Because my nervous system was no longer in a constant state of fright over nothing. Yeah. And if you wanna, I would strongly recommend that if you wanna read my experiences with anxiety, I strongly recommend reading the book. And the reason for this is I don't want anything misinterpreted, especially when we're talking about medications. Sure, absolutely. You're going to be thinking about doing that. You must read the book rather than get it off this recording. Yeah. I also have got information on medications in the way I see it. Mm -hmm. But there's way too many drugs given out way too casually. Yes. Especially the little kids. I'm disgusted on the amount of drugs given out. And I get some doctor's newsletters, some medical newsletters. And I was just reading a thing on polypharmacy and children and all the bad side effects. And I've got them on five drugs. And, yeah. and I find out that no thought went into it. I'm on a single medication. It's an antidepressant. It's an old fashioned drug called disipramine. And the whole thing is described in the whole chapter I've gotten thinking in pictures on my anxiety issues. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's even more difficult when your child is nonverbal because, you know, most of the appointments, the parents are the ones speaking on the child's behalf, like, well, this well, is their behavior and this is their whatever. And you're just guessing and spitballing on the medication to give or not give and all of that. 
So well, I, one basic, basic principle with medication or supplements, try one thing at a time. Absolutely. Yes. So you can figure out what it does. Take notes. You know, what I'm finding lots of times is they just start throwing stuff at it out very much thought. And now that now you've got an eight-year-old on six different medications. And when I talk to the parents, absolutely no thought has gone into it. Throw another tantrum, throw another drug at it. Right. That's not the thing to do. Well, I, and I have thinking in pictures and I, and I have read that book and I'm so grateful for it because I didn't even make the connection. We have been so focused on whether it's the chicken or the egg kind of a thing with my son's colitis and are the aggression and the behaviors due to his belly being so upset. Oh, yes, ulcers, right. The first all thing it. you have to do with a behavior problem in a nonverbal individual is rule out a painful medical problem. Yes. That's the first thing you have to do because that can make a whole lot of problems with aggression and all kinds of behavior you don't want. But I never linked the, the anxiety component to that until you mentioned it now and in your book about, you know, just all that he's going through with his stomach and the ulcers already hurting. And then the frustration and the anxiety from his surroundings and not being able to communicate that he doesn't feel well. And I'm sure it's making his stomach twice the ball of nerves and in pain than it was with just the colitis. So, well, that's the problem. Now, what happened with me, I was in my early 30s and the one on this antidepressant, the one emphasis is an antidepressant, it's not an antipsychotic. Uh, so it's a drug with a side effect profile is a lot better mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. stuff like, uh, you know, uh, Respiridol and yep. Respiridol. We've been on that and we're off that. <laughs> Nullify cert, uh, some of those things. And, and uh, what happened is within a couple of weeks, now I wasn't at the point where I was, I didn't have ulcers, but a lot of the symptoms gra- greatly diminished. Yeah. Because my nervous system was no longer aroused in a constant state of fright over nothing. Wow, I'm so glad for you for that. And I hope that we can get some sort of relief for him as well. Um, did you ever have sleeping issues when you were yes. young? Do you still? Yes, I, yep, I still have some trouble sleeping. And I try to stay on a schedule now. Uh-huh. And I, when I was a little kid, when I was like eight, I could stay up all night if I wanted to, but I had to keep only the reading light on. I had to be quiet and I was allowed to read, but I couldn't be running around. And I had to get up at seven the next morning. Yeah. And and then the next, I'd have one night where I wouldn't sleep. And I still have this kind of now. One night I sleep really well. And the next night, eh, sleep kind of bad. And then the next night, every other night sleep good. You know, that kind of goes with the with the territory. But get in, get in on... Uh, uh, don't be doing screen stuff right before bed because the screens tend to wake up your brain. Do you attribute and, your, just your brain constantly thinking and moving as to why you can't sleep? Or do you know what, what's causing some of the lack just of sleep? Restless, sometimes yeah. restless. Um, um, you know, some kind of sensory stuff. Now this sounds really crazy, but sometimes you can't sleep or take an aspirin, a single aspirin. Oh, really? Yeah, I find it helps, huh. but I, but I, but I make sure that I stay at least sitting for half an hour. Otherwise, it eats up my stomach. 
Yeah. I mean, it could be body movements. That's yet another question I always have is the nights that he stays up all night long and he's just clapping or giggling. He's just wide awake. And I'm thinking, how in the world are you not tired? And I wonder if it's his body, like his, he has restless, you know, you know, itching and ticks in his body and restless well, leg or a brain. Things I'd have is kind of itching and, you know, and it, it sounds kind of, kind of crazy, but even now sometimes when I can't sleep, take an aspirin and then I'll sit at my desk or something and read for half an hour and then go to sleep. Yeah. And the aspirin's taking effect and I don't do it every night. Yeah. I don't even do it that often, but sometimes I know it, it, uh, it stop it kind of stops some of the itching and stuff. Well, it probably, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the effect of aspirin. So that's good. Um, it's something I don't do it every night. I yeah. do it maybe, I don't know, four or five times a month at the most. Well, that's good that you don't have to rely on that. <laughs> it's just one more thing. I don't want to rely on melatonin. Well, yeah. I don't want to give him stuff all the time for every single thing. Well, no, no. But the thing is, 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 uh, you know, the, my, the rule with me was I had to stay on the bed and only have the reading light <laughs> on and I had to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah, that it'd be nice if uh, kids listened today because nowadays <laughs> we could tell them that, but they don't listen. They still go and do whatever they're gonna do. It's so hard. You no, know, I I did. Uh, yeah, listen, I was allowed to get up to go to the bathroom, and that was it. <laughs> you were raised right. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, as I've mentioned, you you just have such a brilliant mind. I just love your talks and reading all of your books and just hearing from your perspective. Just every aspect of your childhood and growing up and you've just changed the world in so many ways. And you really inspire me to not giving up on trying to connect with my son. I mean, I will never give finding, up on him, but you okay, inspire you're me. finding some place where things are gradually improving mm -hmm. because if you're doing, let's say you watch the behavior really carefully and you start seeing something where you see some improvement mm -hmm. and whatever you're doing, you want to keep doing it. Right. Yeah, you're doing yeah. something right if he gradually improves. But the eye contact thing you see, you're forcing him to use two senses at once. Mm -hmm. and that's overloading him. Yes, and I never, and I, and I know in his ABA program they don't do that either. They don't require him to look at them. They just ask him, "Do you want this or this or show me this?" And he points to it, and he's not looking at them. So, I mean, I've always kind of been against people who force eye contact because it's well, just I, I, they were used to be way too much emphasis on that yeah and it's just and harmful. There's been some big controversies about aba because some of the activists now that are adults they had some old-fashioned bad aba with yeah. this forced this stuff and it was really bad yes yep and they're pretty much anti-aba but there are definitely some programs that have been phenomenal for a lot of people well, and a lot of the new programs recognize that sensory stuff is real, where mm -hmm. some of these older programs kind of denied sensory problems, and sensory problems really are real. Mm -hmm. And there's definite evidence, a lot of scientific evidence to show they're real. They're also very variable. Like, I don't have the visual sensitivities, but another child will have them. Yeah. It's very variable. Well, it's good that all that stuff Both is evolved. And the sensory systems that have the problems. Mm -hmm. Well, um, if I can just ask you one last question in closing, um, could and, I, and I'm sure you probably don't like being asked to give advice, um, so it could just be words of wisdom, if you want to call it that, but for the parents who are discouraged about their children or young adults that just don't seem to be progressing with skills or communication, 
um, you know, it's hard sometimes, especially when our kids get to be 18, 20, 25, they're still not verbal. They're still maybe not toilet trained. There's a lot of things that seem to be lacking and it's just so hard not to get frustrated and, you know, just feel helpless, like what to do. Do you have any advice for anybody, you know, just to no, it can be a real problem. And I remember going to Texas one time to a church that had a respite program where the, you know, the parents need to have some time where they can maybe get away from it. And they told me about one set of parents, they, they um, left to drop their kids off at the rest, you know, for the respite. And the parents just spent the entire two hours in their air conditioned car and laid the seats back listening to music in the parking lot <laughs> because they were just completely stressed out. I think mm -hmm. some of these parents, got to try to get some rest, but I think that's really important. I think another thing that's very important is talking to other parents. Yes. I always recommend, you know, joining local support groups. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and some of these parents may not be taking, you know, full advantage of that, even though their kids are adults. Yeah. Talking to other parents, that can often be really, really helpful. Yeah. I, I was on a really good a Zoom call just the other night with the um, Wisconsin Autism Society, and they had a thing where uh, parents were on it, 30 people on a Zoom call, and they had the questions where the moderators getting questions had gotten off the email a few days beforehand, asking me the questions. Then the chat, people were typing stuff, that resources that were in town. One came up was about the airport. We're going to have to go on a plane. And I was talking about not having surprises, looking at TSA videos and pictures of airplanes. And somebody wrote in the chat, and this was extremely useful because I didn't know this. Well, the Minneapolis airport has a program for letting um, uh, uh, individuals with autism do rehearsal at the airport. We have that too. Where they actually get to sit in a plane. I'll not fly in it, but sit in it mm -hmm. and go through the whole procedure of getting the plane. I said, mask wearing, you need to start working on that two weeks before the flight because that's non-negotiable at the airport. They, they're very strict about that. And what I know about COVID, I happen to agree with that. Um, but, and then another resource came uh, up with a Vibe earplugs. They said, you can, blocks out the sound, but you can still hear with them. You know, nice little, uh, um, little resources of information started popping up in the chat. Um, it was very well done the way the moderator did it. Usually the chat's just full of questions, but this time the chat was full of parents putting resources up to help other parents, like with the airport thing. Mm -hmm. And they were putting up uh, uh, a resource. I didn't know the Minneapolis airport did that. Yeah. yeah, the Louisville airport does that too. And it's so neat that kids can go as many times as they want and, and go through TSA security and walk onto the plane and just be at the airport. Some kids, it takes them five or six attempts to get to even the TSA part. They can't they can only get to the door and then after that they get a little further and eventually to the plane. What I would so. do with the higher functioning kids, with the mm -hmm. verbal kids, is I'm going to make it interesting. Yeah. Let's learn how a plane works. It's really cool how it works. Yeah, that would be see, neat. Because but you could but there's all kinds of stuff you can do online, flight simulators. Uh, uh, the other thing you can do that's really fun is just to go outside the airport and watch planes take off. Uh, because I used to be afraid of airplanes. I was on an extremely scary um, emergency landing when I was a senior in high school. I was white knuckles after that. I mean, he throttled back on the throttles on the shores, losing an engine. I mean, I was just freaking out. And what got me over it was I got a chance to ride in the cockpit of a plane hauling cattle. 
They went from scary to interesting. This was early 70s Miami cargo terminal. Um, I watched them abuse airplanes. <laughs> this is something I'm sure they would not allow now. I want to make it very clear, this early yeah. 70s. Letting cattle poop and pee all over them. Oh. And, and uh, they still flew. Uh, oh. But it went from being, uh, you make it interesting. Uh -huh. Like I have, um, um, well, we've only not been doing very many bookstores now, but I, when we were doing the bookstore tables all the time, Brad, the guy I went with, like we like to look at, at stupid videos on YouTube of flying airliners as if they're fighter jets, like making them go straight up. They even did that with an Airbus. You had to get it off the ground high first where you did it. Um, but also making it interesting. And I was thinking the same thing with medical stuff. It's all this electronics. You can go online and learn how a heart rate monitor works. You can even look up probably the instruction manual for that heart rate for some of the gadgets they have in the hospital. Because if you make something interesting, it's less scary. That's another thing you can do. But I think it's great that the Louisville airport is letting them you know, have like five rehearsals. But if, if you're out at some little tiny airport, that's probably not, you may not have that. Yeah. But the mask wearing has been the biggest problem. And the thing to do with that, you've got choices. Mm -hmm. And we start that two weeks before, a month before you go near the airport. Because mm -hmm. that one's non-negotiable. Right. Yeah. And that's... you've got lots of choices. Lots of choices. And uh, I've gotten spoiled. When, I, when COVID first started, they gave out these very soft masks. Mm -hmm. This one here is made by something called Bayside, 100% cotton made in the USA. It's like, I've gotten used to this. I hate all the other masks. Yeah. And I have to order these online. But there's some of them I think are just horrid. Yeah. They feel. Uh, but there's lots and lots of choices. Well, I want to thank you so very much for your time and your insight on everything. Are, do you have any upcoming talks or projects? Or are you working on a new book? Well, I'm working on a book on visual thinking. Okay. Uh, and you, so you get, you, if a person has scrambled vision, they're probably not going to be a visual thinker. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and then there's some that might be a math thinker some a verbal thinker you just don't know in fully verbal individuals around eight years old seven years old it will often become obvious visual thinkers like mechanical things building things and they like art and photography and things like that now they have to be exposed to this stuff and the mathematical thinkers will be good at math they need to get exposed to computer programming i think one of the big problems we've got today with students in school is they're not getting exposed to enough stuff to figure out what they might really be interested in. I got interested in cattle because I was exposed to the cattle industry in as a teenager. Hadn't been exposed to it. Wouldn't be in the cattle industry, it's that simple. Right. So if you see that your children are involved and very interested in like mechanics, for example, um, I, would encourage that. I would highly encourage them to, you know, watch YouTube videos and, and be in, invested in taking things apart and learning the ins and outs of all of that stuff. Is that the best way parents well, can- Well, they need to learn how to use tools. And they mm -hmm. need to learn. I was using real tools by second grade, hammer, screwdriver, and pliers, taught how to <laughs> use them safely. Yeah. But we have kids growing up today that have never used tools. Mm -hmm. And we've got kids growing up today that are totally removed from the world of the practical. 
Well, I wish we still had woodshop and those kind of classes and a lot of well, schools don't have it a, anymore. I think it's a very big problem that they don't mm -hmm. have it anymore. And we've yeah. got a huge shortage of skilled trades. And you look at something like that Mars Rover um, and that little helicopter that just flew. Yeah, had that was funny. piece of the original Wright Brothers airplane stuck inside it. Oh, I didn't see that. Well, it, it wasn't where you could see. I think it was inside the fox. I mean, I didn't see on the news that they that they yeah, mentioned that. That's neat. I didn't know that. But, you know, a lot of the, something like, somebody built that thing on a workbench. <laughs> and they don't get enough credit for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I managed to find the cameras, pictures of the cameras the, before they were installed. And it's got hand-done wiring done on it. Huh. Um, that's a very, very high-end skilled trade. You know, and they, they, that often doesn't get enough credit. The mathematicians got it to Mars, but you had people that built these things by hand, machine stuff by hand. Now they'd use an automated machine tool, but you still had a person that, you know, was doing it. Design it. Yeah. Yeah, they had to design it. And um, the, uh, you see, you need the whole team. You yeah. need the whole team. And so when they described the helicopter, they said, oh, it's got a smartphone chip from Qualcomm, just regular smartphone chip out of a phone. And so Linux, you know, it's got this uh, platform. Well, what about the person, who, some of the people who built the thing? I mean, that's, you know, now they may have made, they had to test those on earth. Uh, I mean, they have a vacuum chamber they could test them in. And then the gravity, that's a little difficult, more difficult to test. I mean, they could take it up in the zero G plane for some 30 minute parabolic curves that's going to cost some money so they probably had quite a few of those helicopters figure out how to make them but you're not talking about a mass-produced item here yeah yeah and, and you look at a lot of the stuff that's um uh, that's on you know like uh, perseverance like taking selfies of herself <laughs> look at those pictures really carefully yeah there's a lot of skilled trades there it's so very high-end skilled trades. It's neat People to see your face it. light up. You get so, you you can definitely tell that it's so interesting to you because you get a huge smile on your face when you're talking about those things. So I can just oh, see look, how I was looking at wiring. I was looking <laughs> yeah. at the wiring on it really yeah. carefully. Mm -hmm. Take some more selfies of that wiring. I want to look at that because somebody had a really cool job making that stuff uh -huh. and. The skilled trades side of things doesn't get enough credit, like getting that ship unstuck from the Suez Canal. You yeah. got tugboat crews that had to work together. And I was happy to see the news did put a picture in of one of the tugboat, tugboat crews and give them credit. Uh -huh. I mean, that was a difficult deal getting that ship out of there. It took math, and it now took she's, ingenuity. Now she's tied up in lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing we have people that don't know, I have people ask me what's on that ship. I go, really? You ask me what's on that ship? I can tell you what's on that ship. It came from China. Yeah. Everything we bought from China. Yeah, everything. It was a lot. Everything's yeah. on that ship. Now there's some things that's not on it. Lettuce, tomatoes, that's not right. on it. There's some stuff like that. I do know that there's a super important container full of bedroom slippers on it. <laughs> and the people are very upset that it's not going to be delivered. They don't know what they're going to do with cargo. Because you can't, you have to go to a big port to unload the cargo, and it's sitting now in lawsuit land. 
but I can't even unload it. I kind of lost track of the story because, you know, once well, they freed I it up, it, I, I, I look it up on, on vessel tracker. I greatly appreciate your time so much. And, um, I sent you my book and I know you're going to be looking at that. And, um, I just, I thank you for your insight. Uh, it's really helpful and I'm sure it'll help so many parents that are listening. So thank you so much. Okay. All right. Great to talk to you. You too. Have a great rest of your day. I will. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.